0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. A reading from Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts." Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, myrtle will grow. There will be for the Lord's renown. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed.
1: I have uh, brought with me here this morning a mug from Pine Haven that I was given at some point in the last year. And I'm sure from where you are sitting right now, this looks like a perfectly normal coffee mug, nothing out of the ordinary or anything like that, but if I'm being honest, it's cracked. A few months ago, I was drinking—I co- had just finished drinking a cup of coffee in my office and was going to do something and I dropped it, and you probably can't see it from where you are sitting, but there's a crack right down through here, and you can see it on the inside as well, and It looks pretty functional, and I'm sure it probably would still work. It would really work if I actually took the time to try to fix it. Um, I'm just kind of lazy when it comes to these things, and I have other mugs in my office, so I haven't really given it a whole lot of thought. And I wonder if maybe during this Christmas season we can relate. Things look functional on the outside. Things look good from a distance, but if we're being honest, we're cracked. We've got a smile on, but we feel broken inside. When someone asks us, we say things are good, but if we're being honest, we're not totally sure that that is actually true. Maybe that's because of present circumstances. Maybe that's because of things that have been said to you or things that you regularly say to yourself. Maybe it's real, maybe it's just perceived, maybe others can tell by just looking at you, maybe they can't, I don't know. But whether it's right now or a past season in life, I I think all of us can on some level resonate with that feeling. Maybe everything looking good, but in reality, being cracked. And it seems that most of the time, maybe more the older we get, we tend to want to mend those cracks on our own. We think we can figure it out, we've lived enough, we know enough, we should be able to make things better. And sure, it might not be fixed completely, but things will be good enough. And again, if we're being honest, we know that doesn't always turn out like we would hope. One of the perks of marriage for me, far from the only one, I should clarify, but one of them has been that I have a whole new family now from which I can access four sermon illustrations. And I have held off on that as long as I can, but with our kids helping us in worship today, it felt fitting for me to, to uh, open up that can so to speak. Because back in the summer, I had just gotten a new phone and was trying, kind of playing around with it, figuring out how... Uh, The new camera on it worked and I got this video of my now nephew Toby that I think illustrates pretty well uh, what this feeling of trying to fix it on our own looks like. Now there's a chance that in watching that video you had a few different reactions. Maybe you had the thought that I had in looking at it this week of thinking, boy, it sure was nice a few months ago when we could go outside in shorts and things, especially on a day like today. Maybe you had the reaction that my mom had when I showed her that video, which was something to the effect of, you saw him struggling out there, and you just stood inside (laughs) and videotaped the whole thing. And if that's what you're thinking right now, I'll tell you the same thing I told my mom, and I have a couple responses to that. The first response is, well, let's be honest, the video of me going out there to help him is not nearly as funny as that video is. And my second reaction is that even if I had gone out there and offered and tried to help, I feel pretty confident that he would have not let me help him. He would have said he could figure it out on his own. He tends to be kind of stubborn. People tell me he's a lot like his grandpa, and I don't know what they mean by that, but that's just what I've been told. And I think he's far from the only one. I can resonate with that feeling more than I would care to admit. And I don't know about you, but I can think of seasons of life where things were not well, where I was struggling. And there were people around me that would be glad to offer to help, would be glad to do whatever they could, and instead I thought to myself, it's okay, I can figure it out. I don't need any help. Sure, the hose is tangled, and sure, every time I try to untangle it, it just ends up being tangled again, but that doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. It just means I need to try a little harder, I need to do it one more time, and then maybe it will work. I can figure it out on my own. Sure, I thought that once I got the promotion or the degree that I have now, that I would feel fulfilled, and, and now I have that, and something still feels missing, but that just must mean that I need to go one more rung up the ladder, and then everything work out. Sure, every relationship I have been in up to this point has left me feeling more and more broken, but that just must mean I haven't met the right person yet, and the next person I meet, they're the ones that are going to fix everything. Sure, I know I used to say that once we got our finances to where they are right now, that everything would be great, and now everything's everything's where it should be, and it still doesn't feel right. That must just mean we need a little more, I can figure this out on my own. And I don't know about you, but in my life, trying to figure things out on my own rarely gets very far. It might lead to the mug looking really good on the outside, but being cracked in reality. So if doing enough on our own won't bring us true healing, that must mean we need healing from somewhere else. Psalm 32, King David is reflecting on his own life and he says in verses 3 and 4, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In other words, trying to figure things out on my own did not go well for me. Then he continues in verse 5 and he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Figuring things out on our own rarely goes well. We need healing. We need true, lasting healing that only comes from our God. And as we continue to reflect on the book of Isaiah through this Christmas season, in the passage we've already heard read this morning, we see God invite his people to come and experience that healing. If you were here last week, you heard Fred walk us through Isaiah chapter 53 where Isaiah describes this suffering servant who is to come and then right after that in Isaiah 54 we get a description of what the restoration that God will bring after the servant comes is going to look like and it is a scene of blessing and restoration, God bringing joy out of mourning, wealth out of poverty, peace out of chaos and now in chapter 55 he invites us to come and be a part of that healing. And over the course of this chapter that Jim has read for us this morning, we hear this invitation come in three phases. In verses 1 to 5, we get the invitation itself. In verses 6 and 7, we're told how to accept the invitation. And then in verses 8 to 13, we are told why we should accept it. So I just want to walk through those three pieces for us this morning of this chapter that invites us to come and to be healed because this invitation comes out to us in the first couple verses of this chapter like a carnival barker wanting you to come play a game at the fair or a vendor wanting you to buy a hot dog at a foot or at a ball game I guess at a football game but any kind of ball game but the difference is is that this invitation is one intended to address a true need I mean if you're walking through the midway at the fair and you hear someone yelling at you to come and throw some darts at some balloons or try to knock over a stack of milk bottles they're not suggesting as they invite you to come come and do that that you know playing that game is going to improve your life in some way they're not concerned with your well-being when they give you that invitation really they're concerned with you giving them money if you're at a ball game and a vendor comes by and offers you a hot dog or cotton candy or more than likely offers it to your kids uh, they're not suggesting that they have a, a deep concern for your nutritional needs and that in some way this cotton candy is going to address that nutritional need Again, really, they're they're, they're interested in, in making some money. And so as we hear this invitation from Isaiah ring out, we might think that something similar is happening. There must be more under the surface. There must be a catch to this deal. But we keep reading. We find Isaiah does not call out to us because he's trying to sell us something. He wants each of us to come and be healed. He is the only message that will satisfy. And to those that are thirsty, he calls for them to come and drink from the waters. To those that are starving because they can't afford food, he tells them that he has free food to give them, and it's not just the bare essentials. He is giving away wine and milk, the luxuries of the day without cost. And if that is the offer on the table, he continues, why would you want to go anywhere else? If the greatest meal you could ever imagine is being offered to you, why would you settle for sitting, sitting in the corner and eating a bowl of oatmeal? I mean, I have no uh, problems with oatmeal. I enjoy it. But if I'm eating oatmeal for breakfast, it means that I just need something that's going to keep me alive until lunch so that I can eat something I actually enjoy. You know, that, that one minute I'm standing there at the microwave waiting for my oatmeal to heat up is not the highlight of my day. And Isaiah calls out in these verses he says come enjoy this free luxurious banquet and he looks around and he sees people settling for less he sees people going to the store and buying their own groceries the groceries that he knows are not good that will not fill them up that are rotten and spoiled and he wants better for them he says what are you doing why are you settling for things that will never fill you when everything you could ever want or need is being offered to you for free from God himself? Why settle for trying to figure it out on your own? And I wonder if Isaiah would ask us the same question. Why settle for trying to find significance through a social media presence why settle for trying to live the good life through your stuff why settle for trying to heal our wounds on our own when the god of the universe has invited you to find the fulfillment you were designed for and that was designed for you in him and him alone like c.s lewis said too often we are like children playing in a mud puddle splashing around with whatever it is we think will give us satisfaction because we can't get our heads around how incredible a vacation on the beach would be the things we pursue to find healing always leave us wanting. But the solution is not to seek more of the things that haven't filled us to this point. The solution is to give up our own meager attempts at healing and accept this invitation to be healed by God. But you might ask, how is this possible? It sounds nice, but how does this actually get worked out? And that is the question that the rest of this First section answers because Isaiah says the invitation is extended because God will fulfill the covenant he promised to King David. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says to David that he will have a descendant and this descendant will come and he will be like a son to God himself and he will take David's throne and he will reign forever. And now... Isaiah says that when that happens, when 2 Samuel 7 is fulfilled and this son of David takes his throne, it will not just be for him, it will be for everyone who comes in to flourish as a part of God's kingdom. There is no limit on who this invitation is extended to. It is not just for those who are the right type of people or were born into the right circumstances. It is for everyone. And Isaiah says that as you accept that invitation, as you come participate in this covenant, you will be healed. And as you are healed, others will see you being healed and then they will want to be healed themselves. And so they will come into this covenant and then more people will see them and so on and so on until eventually this uh, group of God's people stretches across the globe, stretches to places you have never heard of, stretches to all kinds of people who have all come to be a part of the healing of God. That's the invitation Isaiah extends. Come and be healed by our God. Give up your wanderings. Give up trying to figure it out on your own. Come and be healed. So if we hear that, maybe our next question is how we accept that invitation. Isaiah explains in verses 6 and 7 that the way to accept that invitation is through repentance. To people who are rebellious and unjust, making their own way, Isaiah tells them to seek the Lord, to call on him. To those doing wrong, he calls them to give up their wicked ways, give up their unrighteous thoughts, give up the things that lead to death, and turn to the Lord. He calls us to repent. And maybe hearing a word like repentance is a little off-putting, because it sounds like giving in, and we don't like the idea of surrendering, and it's true that repentance is surrender, but it's not being forced to sign a peace treaty to avoid being wiped off the map. Maybe we think repentance is like coming to God as if he's a teacher or a parent that caught us doing a bad thing, and so we have to say what we did and at least put on a good show of feeling bad about it, and then eventually he will get over it. That is not the portrait of God, Isaiah Payne. After walking through who is supposed to repent and what that's supposed to look like, he says at the end of verse 7 let the wicked forsake, oh, let them turn to the Lord. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the righteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Them. God is not an angry parent waiting for you when you come home because you've missed curfew, expecting you to at least to pretend that you feel bad about having done so. God is not calling us to give up a life of fun so that you can live a boring life that has the reward of heaven dangled out at the end. Repentance leads to immediate forgiveness and healing. Repentance is letting go of the things that will eventually destroy us so that we can be healed. God desires good for us. And that goodness will only come through him. He calls us to let go of our wickedness and our unrighteousness, our injustice, our treating of others as objects, our pride, our selfishness, our materialism, or whatever else might be holding on to us and we might be holding on to instead of God himself. And he calls us to repent and to be healed. God calls us near so that we might have life with him. So Isaiah's laid out the invitation. He's told us how to accept that invitation, but we might be asking ourselves if this is an invitation worth accepting. I mean, how can I know this is not just a bunch of empty promises? Well, if I can summarize Isaiah's response to that question, and then we can flesh it out a little more. I think Isaiah's response to that question is God knows better. There's more to it than that, but that's at least the main point of this section. God knows better, and that is a good I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents were allowing me to get this newfangled thing called email, and it was going to be a great thing, and they were setting it all up and everything, and it got to the point where you could uh, put in what your username was going to be for your email, and I was rubbing my hands together. I had all kinds of ideas of what this was going to look like, and my mom was very firm and said, no, it is going to be your first name and your last name, nothing else. And as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, I remember thinking, like, come on, there's... There's all kinds of material I could work with here. There's all kinds of good things I could do. Not allowed. And years later, I'm in college. And I remember having a conversation with some friends and they were going around and talking about what their email address was. And just being mortified at the things they came up with, the things that they thought were so cool when they were 12 years old, that were so great that now they looked back on as 18, 19, 20 year olds and thought, what in the world was I thinking? And I remember having an epiphany in that moment of thinking, oh, my mom knew something I didn't at that age. I just couldn't see it yet. My mom knew better. My mom was trying to save me from pain and humiliation down the road when I was in college. I just didn't have the perspective to be able To see it. I think in these verses Isaiah is saying something similar about God. The gap between what God understands and what we understand is infinitely greater than the gap between what I understood as a 12 year old and what my mom understood when I was 12 years old. And that's a good thing. Back in chapter 6 of this book, Isaiah was called to be a prophet after he has this incredible vision of the presence of God. And Isaiah catches just a glimpse of the glory of God. He cries out in Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Woe to me! I'm ruined! I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Being confronted with the perfection of God causes Isaiah to realize all of his own imperfections and he is certain that he will not survive, but instead, God cleanses him. God reaches down and makes him new and sends him out to be a prophet, to proclaim this message of calling God's people back to him. God is far greater, far more holy, Far more incredible than Isaiah or you or I could ever comprehend. But that reality does not lead to Isaiah's destruction. It leads to Isaiah's healing. And now, in Isaiah chapter 55, he makes that same offer to anyone who will listen. The gulf between us and God is far greater than we could ever think, yet God reaches across that gulf to heal us, to bring us near to him, God knows better, and that's a good thing. God knows better, and because he knows better, we can trust that he will do what he has said to do, and when he does what he says he will do, it might not be exactly what we expected, but it will bring healing. God knows better, and because God knows better, he doesn't work on our, in our ways, and that is a good thing. And because God knows better, that means when we find him working in ways that seem strange to us, we can trust in him. God says in these verses that his word is like the snow and the rain that falls to the earth and can't help but bring nourishment to the ground before it goes back up into the skies. Even if the way in which that happened doesn't seem obvious right away. I mean, we have a lot of snow on the ground right now. And I know you all know this, but if you were to think about it in this way, it might be a little strange to look out these windows right now or to look out your windows at home and think that somehow all of the snow on the ground right now has anything to do with how the grass is going to look, or how your fields are going to look, how your garden is going to look six months from now. But you and I all know that eventually that snow will melt and everything will turn to mud for a little while, but then it will bring... It will bring nourishment, it will bring flourishing, it will bring healing. And God says here that when his word goes out, it is like snow falling to the ground. that will accomplish its purposes. He is working, he is speaking, and that guarantees that he will accomplish his purposes even if we don't fully see or understand it. Maybe you are longing right now praying for God to bring healing to you or to someone you love and I can't stand up here and proclaim exactly how that story is going to turn out maybe healing comes miraculously maybe healing doesn't come until the end of this life in the presence of Jesus but in the meantime God works through those ailments those pains those sufferings to give you an understanding of who he is that is deeper than you could have experienced otherwise and gives you opportunities to proclaim his goodness in the midst of pain so that others might know the love of God as well who would not have known it in any other way. If that's you, no matter how the story ends, look at the snow. Look out these windows. Look out wherever you might find it and be reminded that God will accomplish his purposes. Maybe you are swamped at work right now. You are just on the verge of throwing in the towel and maybe that means that you shouldn't stay there. Maybe that means God is calling you to work elsewhere. I don't know. I can't proclaim that from up here. Maybe that means that God is using whatever it is that is causing you stress right now to form you into someone who can be used for his purposes far beyond what you could have been used for otherwise. No matter what that next step is, look at the snow and know that God has not forgotten about you. Maybe finances are tight right now and you don't know how you're going to make it through the end of the month, how you're going to buy Christmas presents for everyone, how it's all going to work out. And I don't know, maybe there'll be a check waiting in your mailbox when you get home today from some unknown source that makes it all okay. Maybe, maybe instead, God is working to show you that before you need anything else, you need him. Either way, look at the snow and know that God is not done working. Just like how that snow will water the ground, God will accomplish his purposes. And when he does, it leads to celebration. Verse 12 says that when God does all of this, when God brings healing, his people will go out in joy, which is a reminder for us of the Exodus. When God freed his people from slavery in Egypt, they went out in a rush under the cover of darkness, and it wasn't long later where the Egyptian army was chasing after them. And now God says that he will do something similar. He will heal his people. He will bring them out. Only they won't have to rush under cover of darkness. It will be a ticker tape parade. There will be celebration Not only from God's people, but from all creation. Isaiah says, mountains and hills are singing, trees are clapping their hands, places that before were covered in weeds and thorns will burst forth with beautiful flowers. God's healing is not just for you and me. It is for all creation. You might have noticed, even as we were singing Joy to the World a little bit ago, that in the second verse of that song, it says that when the Savior reigns, creation itself joins in the celebration. It says, rock, or excuse me, fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. God's healing is not just to make us nicer people. He is coming to bring healing that surpasses anything we could ever imagine. He is coming to heal our deepest, darkest wounds. He's coming to heal our addictions. He's coming to heal diseases and disabilities. He's coming to heal global pandemics. He's coming to heal war. He's coming to heal division and strife. He's coming to heal natural disasters. He is coming to make all things new. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He can bring restoration greater than we could ever imagine. And that sort of healing is possible because of the story of Christmas if you were going to set out to fix all the problems in the world, my guess is you would not start by having a baby be born to a poor unwed teenage mother and placed in a manger. But because God's ways are higher than our ways, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, he sends his son, God himself, born into the line of David, born not in a palace, not in luxury, but laid down among animals. And from there, from the birth of this child, the one that John will refer to as the word of God who was brought into the world, God's plans to bring healing to all creation begins. And because this child was born, we are invited to come and to be healed. Because that child grew up. His earthly life culminates by going to the cross, becoming that suffering servant that Isaiah 53 was looking forward to. Jesus, the son of David, has come as the suffering servant to fulfill God's purposes so that we might all participate in his healing. He has died so that we might live. He took the punishment We deserve so that we might join in the celebration. Jesus has suffered so that you and I might be made new. This Christmas, we are invited to come and participate in the healing Jesus has come to bring. If you've never followed him before, if you have in the past and have wandered away, Jesus invites you to come to him to repent so that you might be healed for those who do repent, for those who do surrender to the incredible, mysterious purposes of God. There's a promise of healing and restoration, sins forgiven, freedom available, healing for you and all creation. Come and be a part of it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your Son who has come to heal us to heal every part of who we are, to heal creation itself. God, help us come before you in humility and repentance, acknowledging who you are, acknowledging what you've come to do for us so that we might be made new. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
0: We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.